Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. We want to end the year by replaying not just some of our favorite interviews from 2020, but ones that still have resonance here in late December. So today we're sharing with you our July 22nd conversation with hedge fund manager Bill Ackman, who had just raised $4 billion for a SPAC. Why it matters is that SPACs, which are otherwise known as blank check acquisition companies, were one of the biggest 2020 financial stories on Wall Street. Most days, there were several new ones being formed, all designed to buy up private companies and take them public, kind of like an IPO mixed with a private equity deal. Ackman SPAC was the largest ever raised. Today's Wednesday, July 22nd. Earlier today, hedge fund titan Bill Ackman raised $4 billion in an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange. But it wasn't for a company or even for the firm that controls his hedge funds. It was for something called a Special Purpose Acquisition Company, or SPAC, and it was the largest SPAC IPO of all time. SPACs have been around for a while. They used to be called blank check acquisition companies. In short, they're empty shells, no underlying product or revenue. The idea is that a money manager like Ackman creates one, raises money through an IPO, and then uses that money to buy an actual company. Now, why would anyone want to be bought by a SPAC? Namely, because it's a de facto way to go public without all of the disclosure, timing, and financial hassles of a traditional IPO. Ackman himself did this nine years ago, eventually purchasing Burger King. But SPACs have mostly been small business until the past year, when they've simply exploded on Wall Street, raising tens of billions of dollars and buying up such well-known companies as DraftKings, Virgin Galactic, and Multiplan. Plus, electric car maker Fisker, which we discussed on the pod a couple weeks back. Why it matters is that SPACs have a very mixed track record. And there is some concern, not unfounded, that their prevalence right now is a canary in the stock market bubble coal mine. Plus, specific to Ackman, for some larger, more mature Silicon Valley companies, his SPAC might look like an awfully appealing way to go public. I am pleased now to be joined by Bill Ackman. But first, this. So, Bill, let's start with this big picture. Why are there so many SPACs right now? The SPAC itself is a good idea. The idea of creating a cash shell as a public vehicle and using it to enable a private company to bypass some of the risks of going public in a fairly you know, rapid fashion. So that idea is a good idea. The quality of the sponsors of SPACs have improved. The terms have improved somewhat. How much do you think the broader kind of boom in SPACs is partially if not being driven by maybe reflecting kind of overall public equity market froth? There is, I would say, a fair amount of that because a number of SPACs have done deals with fairly speculative companies. Space tourism, electric trucks, make your list. Stocks have traded well. You know, that's captured the imagination of people. And so I think that's made SPACs in a way hot, but the structure itself still has a mixed track record. But I think quality of sponsorship, terms have improved somewhat, actually getting transactions done, some of them are interesting, good companies. So I think that is changing the landscape and just the nature of the IPO process, the risks inherent in it in a risky world. I mean, I think the other point I would make is we're in the middle of a COVID crisis. We have an election in the next 100 days. You know, uncertainty is the enemy of the IPO, right? You don't want to go to all the way down the road. You're four or five months into the whole process and you got to pull the deal because the stock market's down or Trump tweeted something. You know, so it's the instantaneous nature of it, I think, is very appealing to people who want to focus on running their company as opposed to dealing with Wall Street. 
You obviously have a lot of runway for this new SPAC in terms of when you have to actually get a deal together. But given that, as you say, midst of COVID crisis, election 100 days, could you see a scenario in which you guys actually do sign a term sheet with a company before the election? Yes. Is that your expectation that you will? It's hard to have an expectation. I would say I'd be surprised. We don't have a thousand company universe. We think there are 150, $10 billion plus private companies on a conservative basis. We think there are actually more than that, but the ones that we've identified, maybe 50 of those will meet our quality threshold in terms of business quality, growth characteristics, economic characteristics. And uh, you know, we're going to look at every one of them. Everyone knows this thing exists at this point. I mean, it, you know, it's the whatever number two story on Bloomberg today being covered fairly widely in the media. I'm happy to be on your show, obviously. We want the word to get out so that the phone rings. And, you know, the most interesting candidates, you know, we're going to dig in very, very quickly. We need one transaction. And we think we can delivering $5 billion to a company can be transformational. You just said, and you also said in the prospectus, you know, kind of you're looking at $10 billion plus companies in terms of overall enterprise value, not in what Tantine has. Is there an upper limit either from a structural perspective or a call it practical perspective in terms of how big a company you could buy? Interestingly, not really, because one, if someone wants more than $5 billion, we have the ability at Pershing to scale up our investment for another couple billion. And then we've raised money from a very unusual group of investors. It's people who actually want to deploy a lot more capital than we were able to allocate to them in the IPO of the SPAC. We have Asian sovereign wealth funds that have told us they'd like to write a 2 or $3 billion ticket. Once we've identified a target, we have big US asset managers who are going to want to own a big percentage of the company. So if we needed $10 billion or $20 billion for the right business, the capital is there within that, when you talked about that universe of kind of large, privately held companies, a lot of those in that value range are Chinese tech companies, Chinese tech unicorns. Are you considering those or are the geopolitics scaring you right now too much? You know, we'll look at anything just to learn, but I think a Chinese domiciled company today is more of a challenge. Are you concerned that almost, and certainly on the private market side, so are you concerned that almost no matter what you buy, you're buying something near the top, if not of a bubble, at least it's at a very, very highly valued thing that maybe shouldn't be quite so highly valued? We're only going to buy a company on terms that we find attractive on an absolute basis, that we're buying the business at a discount to its intrinsic value. Again, we're only going to end up with a minority interest in the business. And if the public markets give it too high a value, that's okay. But our investors, we're going to get in at a price that makes sense to us. You know, again, I'm not the one to tell you which company is overvalued. It depends on your expectations of the future. But we're going to buy a business where we can be very confident about the future of the company. There are going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to pass on. You know, there are many companies that nominally have very large valuations. You know, a Waymo, people talk about it being worth, I don't know, $30 billion or something like that. But it's a zero revenue self-driving company. That's not for us. We're looking for a business with real revenues, intrinsically cash flow generative business. They may be investing 100% or more of that cash in growth and getting market share, but we understand the underlying economic characteristics. And it's just a matter of time before that business starts spitting off cash. That's our target. I don't want to get into the whole CNBC back and forth about your comments in March, but I want to ask you kind of a different piece of it, which is this. Back in March, you said that the country was going to go to hell unless there was basically a 30-day true national lockdown. We are now, whatever it is, five months later, cases are surging all throughout the country, schools aren't reopening, et cetera. If you were president of the United States today or king of the United States today, at this point, would you now institute that 30-day lockdown to get things under control? No, but I might do it in certain states or certain cities. I would do it on a very localized basis to address the problem as best I could. And I would mandate mask wearing nationwide. And I would appeal to people's what's in the best interest of the health of the country, what's in the best interest of the economy of the country. I wish we had done a 30-day hard shutdown. We'd be in a very different place. 
And what we did instead was a rolling shutdown, which is better than nothing. And we had a rolling opening in some places with more care than in other places. And that's the problem with 50 independent states making up their own minds. But I do think I like the fact that the president is promoting mask wearing. I think that's the right thing to do. I wish he'd done it sooner. Bill Ackman of Pershing Square. And as of this moment, Pershing Square Tontine as well. Thank you very much uh, for joining. Thank you so much. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national pepper pot day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.